You're listening to Points in Between. This is episode four, First Day. Have you ever been the new kid? I don't mean first day of kindergarten or college where everyone is new. I mean the kind of new kid where your classmates already know where they're going to sit in the cafeteria at lunch, and you don't. I was a new kid. I was 10. I hated it. I was bad at it. I welcome new kids as a teacher, too. It's eye-opening to view it from that perspective, because you see both sides in a way you can't when you're in it. You see the new kid, their social skills, or lack thereof. Some of them, while they might feel like outsiders, they just project this certain confidence. They're attractive or charismatic, and they make connections right away. Others, more, are shy or consumed by sadness about being there. On the other side, you see the established students, we'll call them. They make early reconnaissance missions to size up the newcomer. Some kids fit easily into a group and get taken into the fold within days. Others, maybe they make an initial attempt, but they find some kind of difference neither side knows how to bridge. And in the worst cases, the new kid is automatically judged unacceptable, a kind of pariah or non-entity in the local hierarchy. It is awful to watch. I didn't do any kind of official sociological study, but I think what I learned from watching it as a teacher is that the attitude, the social skills, the identity of the new kid, they all matter. And also, those aren't the kind of things a kid can prepare the night before the first day of school. Let's start this episode with two stories. First, Ruth who moved to California when she was 16. Nothing about her appearance on the first day of school would have suggested her actual experience, that she had lived in Mexico for almost a decade, that one night in the middle of the night, she got pulled out of a sleepover at a friend's house and deported back to a country that legally was her home, but did not feel like it. We lived near the school, so we walked onto the campus and before we even crossed the gate and we're in the quad, I just had like, tears streaming down my face and I had this like no 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 like screaming inside like I did not want to be there I hated it and it was hard to come set foot on the campus without crying. Caroline's experience was different. She had a tough road ahead of her learning English and adjusting to a new culture but at 14 she was excited to leave Czech Republic and she looked forward to her new start in America. Fashion was definitely a big part of it. I have a picture from me walking up the school, and I turned around and did a little peace sign. <laughs> it's just a really dorky picture of me wearing my little skirt and leggings underneath and um, collar shirt and a hat. <laughs> I always try to be more fashionable than, like, San Diego expects anybody to be. So that already sort of marked me out as the foreigner. And my mom uh, walked me to school and, you know, she wished me good luck. And she was really scared for me. She didn't know if I was going to handle it or not. But um, I definitely, I, I mean, in retrospect, I look back and I realized that I was, like, fearless, really. I, I could have been so much more um, shy and just, you know, it could have been much harder than it was. But I guess I still had just the big excitement 
of everything in me, and I and I just went into it. But since Ray Pines has, um, they have like nine different ESL classes. It's they're really um, impressive program for people who don't have English as as their first language. I knew it was going to be okay. I want to be clear. I'm not saying Ruth just needed a different attitude. She couldn't help being sad. It was a totally reasonable thing to feel at that time. I'm saying that students are people, and school happens in the larger context of their lives. The first day of school, I had to like put my head down because I had, I was crying. And I don't remember what my first class was, but it was a rough day. And I think I went home during lunchtime because I was close enough. So for the first few months, I would go home for lunch. My dad was there and I would hang out with him and have lunch and then go back. At the end of her first day, Caroline's mom was waiting for her outside the school. My mom uh, met me at the bottom of the hill beneath the school again, and I was just like running. I was uh, running down the hill and I was laughing and I was like, this is so great. Yeah, it was definitely one of like the nicer ways that this could have gone. (laughs) Ruth and Caroline each had over a month between their arrival in the States and their first day of school. That was not true for everyone. Mi nombre es Juan Tovar. I'm 33, and I'm, I'm originally from El Salvador, and I was 16. Juan left El Salvador after the country's civil war, but before the rise of the violence that's currently causing so many people to flee to the United States. His family arrived at San Francisco International Airport late on a Thursday night. The very first next day, actually, we went to the school, to the high school, and I do remember understanding a lot when it came to the language, so I did take English classes back in El Salvador, so uh, I was nervous. Um, You know, everything was happening so fast too, but just, you know, trying to get into, I guess, into uh, a routine. But uh, mainly I was just nervous, that's that's about it. But looking back, uh, the first week of school, I was mainly just nervous about meeting new people, like how to behave. That was about, I'll say, 40% of my thoughts. The other 60, they were still back in El Salvador with my old friends. In Caroline's story, you heard mention of a common theme from first-day accounts. Fashion, especially in schools without uniforms, is a language all unto itself. And like other languages, it's nuanced, and it changes with geography. In his new community, one of the puzzles Juan had to solve was which people went with which sorts of fashion. And the presence of whole new categories of people made the task even trickier. I mean, everything was so diverse because it was South City High. Um, there were like different groups. I remember noticing different group of, groups of kids. There's, you know, skateboarders. Um, their shoes were different. Of course, you had your African-American with your really baggy pants. <laughs> And then you had your uh, Hispanics, Latinos, which is pretty much the same thing, you know, baggy pants. Um, everybody told me, don't wear red, don't, don't wear blue, Sureños, Norteños, try, try, uh, try to stay away from that. That was actually, that's, what, that's one of the main things that I was concerned about how to dress. Every time I would wear a blue shirt or something, I will, will be concerned about that, or a red shirt, you know, either color. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. Did, were you concerned about that because you knew about it from home, or were you concerned about it because you had heard about it here? I heard about it here. That was that. My aunt was actually one of the ones that told me that 
the first ones, one of the first persons to tell me that. She was like, be careful what you wear, you know, because uh, she was like, mostly the school is okay as long as you don't associate yourself with you know those colors from the beginning. Just, just try to stay away from it, and that's what I did. As you already heard, Simon was born in Korea, but spent part of his elementary school in the U.S. He was a new kid twice, once when he moved from the U.S. back to Korea, and then again when he returned to the U.S. for high school. I was like, I wasn't really, I didn't know what people wore in America, so I was just wearing what I wore, like what I wore, wear in Korea, and I think that kind of, I don't think backfired. I don't. I don't think people necessarily cared about what I wore, but seeing everyone wear like Nike gear and stuff like that, it made me go out of my way to like Nike outlets and buy gear. And like I showed up to school in like all Nike one day and like neon stuff like that, and people started making fun of me. So like, <laughs> like that kind of thing. I di- I tried to make an effort to fit in, but like as time went on, I think I found my own style. And but when I go back to Korea, I don't try to fit in. I try to be American. Simon's story hints at a topic we really don't like to talk about. Money. And specifically, the intersection of school and money. To fit in and feel like he belonged, Simon observed the fashion landscape, then went out to buy the clothes that he hoped would accurately convey the identity he wanted to express. If you're an adult far removed from your school days, or maybe a particularly self-confident student who ignores fashion, you may be feeling kind of skeptical right now. But I want to challenge that skepticism. Willfully ignoring the associations between fashion and identity in any community is a sort of statement of identity in itself. And it's a rare student who can do that without any social cost. Okay, lecture over. You already heard Kat's voice if you listened to the introductory episode. She was the one who talked about what it was like to eat in the school cafeteria for the first time. But here's your formal introduction. Me llamo Caterina Nernay Moran. Um, It's funny, my last name is different in Spanish. Um, And I am originally from Cadiz, Spain. Kat grew up in a small, mostly Roma, fishing village in southern Spain. When she was nine, she, her mom, and her stepfather moved to Plano, Texas. I remember when when I was packing to leave Spain to go to the U.S. that I purposely chose, like left behind all my outfits that I thought were not American, like the outfits that would not go over in America. So I only had my like, I don't even know what they were. I think they were like sweatsuits maybe that I mostly had, but I like left behind my pleated skirts and I left behind... Oh, we used to wear, in Spain, we always wore, like, tights and a skirt, like a knee-length skirt. And I mostly just brought, like, sweatpants and jeans uh, because those were, like, the American things that would fit in. But I remember realizing on that very first day that whatever it is I was wearing, which I don't remember, was not cool. (laughs) And being really devastated that it wasn't American at all, that I had totally missed the mark. And that everybody was wearing white polo shirts I remember this distinctly, white polo shirts and like khakis maybe with white heads. And it was kind of like the uniform, but it wasn't actually a uniform, but every kid had on kind of the same outfit. And that all of the girls had beautiful curly blonde hair, like 
two, like every single girl <laughs> had beautiful blonde curly hair and blue eyes, which I had never seen in my entire life. And I was just so blown away by it. Um, and there was just no way that I was going to make my hair look like that. I had no idea I was going to put my hair in those kind of ponytails and accomplish those sorts of things. On one level, this desire to look like her classmates was just about fashion. But it's also the reemergence of a theme from episode one, the theme of family separation. This isn't a geographic separation. It's an emotional one. I doubt when Kat's mother decided to move her and her daughter to America that she ever expected that school here would, however unintentionally, teach her daughter to want blonde curly hair some point must have been after the first few months but somehow someone told me about what curling irons were which I'd never heard of and you know I tried to talk to my mom about how we needed a curling iron (laughs) and she was just completely she just had no interest in getting a curling iron I was so devastated because I needed my hair to look like everyone else's (laughs) this desire for a curling iron was the start of the sort of negotiations that happen in a lot of households The big question is, how much can a kid explore and adapt to this new culture before their parents feel like it's a betrayal of their own identity? You already met Jessica. She and her family crossed from Mexico into Texas, then took an unexpectedly scenic bus route to their new home in Chicago. For her, a lack of information and a lack of money combined to make preparing for school a challenge. When I first went to school, like there's, there was no school uniform, and that that kind of threw me off because you were allowed to wear jeans and a, a white shirt, and and like I was just so used to wearing like your long socks, your dress shoes, your skirt, your sweater, and your dress shirt, like because that's the way that um just Mexican uniforms in schools are like. So I was just like, well, what is this, you know? <laughs> and and then, uh, so then yeah, when I went to school, like I would just wear the hand-me-downs of my my cousin coming because it will fit, and like, we were like trying to start from scratch. So she wore like a lot of like those tight jeans and tight shirts. And I think that puts like a certain image about a, um, I mean, a young girl, especially. Um, So yeah, so well, I didn't have much of a choice, most of her clothes and her clothes were all like South Pole kind of clothes, you know, like those clothes. So it it was interesting because when I first, like when I first started going to school, I feel like this wasn't my image because I wasn't used to wearing these kind of clothes. I wasn't used to hearing like this kind of music that comes with the, you know, with the outfit, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like just for, like, my first couple of years of elementary school, like, I was kind of stuck trying to assimilate to what everybody else was doing in order not to stick out. And that was one way, like, dressing the same way as everybody else did in the neighborhood and listening to the same music. In addition to managing complicated emotions and in addition to navigating a new social landscape, the people I spoke with struggled to just make sense of the basic logistics in American schools. Serafan came from Senegal to California when he was 16. He started school three weeks into the school year. Then when I walked in, it's like, oh, there's a new student. And I said, hi, everybody said hi. And he was like, sit right here and on the front. And I'm thinking, oh, what are the back over there? <laughs> and they looked at me, I was like, can I? And you want to sit in the back? I was like, yes. He was like, go ahead. Because I always like sitting in the bag in case, you know. So I was sitting in there and he was doing his class and I'm, li- I'm understanding some words, some words. I'm like, uh, you understand? I was like, 
yeah just to say yeah and get it done with so and then you have you have to move to another class and everybody's like, let's go i'm like where is like next class okay so i follow everybody like maybe like 20 students and then we had to go to a math class and i'm like okay this is cool you get out of class you walk this is nice as you learn when you listen to caroline just because the transition to a new school is hard doesn't mean it's bad even though he was embarrassed by his inability to communicate Serafin liked the more relaxed atmosphere of school in america and even though it took him a while to learn the process he liked changing classrooms when he arrived from Yemen at age 16, it had actually been a couple of years since Raouf had regularly attended school. I wasn't thinking that I would be going to school. I was thinking that I would be just working and helping my dad. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I used to be a good kid in Yemen. Like, when, when, I, good, when I went to school, uh, I got good grades. And I think my dad realized, you know, how much he suffered um, in terms of, uh, you know, living in, 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 the, in this country without uh, speaking English. Also, there was a big motivation on my part to take advantage of. I didn't have it in Yemen, but at the same time, there were a lot of challenges. and. One of them is like learning a new language. Um, my dad just dropped me off and he went back to work and didn't know anyone. I didn't have any friend at all like that I can relate to. And in fact, my first day in a school was so crazy to the point where I went home crying and I was telling my mom because I don't want to we didn't want to bother my dad we didn't want to make him feel like guilty or concerned you know and it's because I felt so lonely like alone walking around <laughs> not knowing where to go for instance you know one time I get off the class and needed to go to a different class in the third floor but I was just lost and I'm looking at my schedule like just give it to me but I can't even read it it's not even in Arabic and I was just wandering in the hallway uh, because in Yemen you stay in the you, you get you stay in the same class uh, the same class until the school until the day finished it's totally uh, totally the opposite so in Yemen the teachers come to the class but the students in America go to the teachers so and I'm like what you know uh, why the bell is ringing is it time to go home <laughs> but it's too early <laughs> I guess being in school for an hour so is it only one hour? Wow, it's very easy. And uh, and then I heard the security guy yelling, go to class. And he was just yelling, go to class, go to class. And he was yelling at me. And I turned my head and he just screamed at me. And I think he thought that I'm one of those guys that are 
gets playing around, you know, and doesn't want to go to school and doesn't want to go to class, you know. And so he yelled once too, and I was just shaking. Uh, and he was walking towards me, and I'm like, gosh, I hope that nothing really happens. So he walked up to me, and he says, what are you doing? I didn't respond. He saw the schedule in my hand, and he picked it up, and then I think he saw Arabic, the language. And he's like, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I remember him saying, like, you know, and holding my shoulder, you know, sorry. It's like, you know, even though I didn't understand what he was saying, but I guess felt it, you know, from the way he reacted, like, trying to make me calm down. And so... And he walked me to my second class. But by the time I arrived there, the class was already done, you know. Raouf's second period teacher was understanding about the mix-up. Then, one of his classmates helped him out, possibly at the direction of the teacher. Raouf wasn't sure. One of the students, Gers, I think, was he was very kind of him. Just grabbed me and then walked me to the third class. And uh, I think he was also from... Yeah, he was from Ethiopia. But he... He already been there in you know, three years or maybe two, but he was already accustomed to the system and he was very aware of everything. We, even though we don't speak the same language, but still we c- were able to relate and connect. And I think that's because he already went through this experience. When you're the new kid, A lot of things determine how that first day goes. Your emotional state when you walk through the door, your understanding of the social landscape and the skills you have at reading that kind of situation, how you dress, how you look, the language you speak. But other things matter too. The institution's approach to newcomer students and definitely not least, the kindness of strangers. So... It seems that maybe schools and current students can, if they choose to, make that first day a little easier. Next, in episode five, we'll spend some time in the classroom itself, exploring how different places define what it means to be a good student and why we have school at all. Points in Between is a production of the California Global Education Project. I'm Shane Carter. See the Points in Between webpage for additional information about each episode. You can find it at cispisglobal.org. Look under the Resources tab.